The following conversation with Anissa Bohannon on Being Black in Bend originally aired on June 9, 2017 on the Radical Songbook on KPOV, 88.9 FM, High Desert Community Radio in Bend, Oregon. The Radical Songbook is hosted by Michael Funky. It is a two-hour show highlighting the role that music plays in social justice and protest, and it airs Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Sing me a song with social significance. All other tunes are taboo. I want a ditty with heat in it, appealing with feeling and meat in it. We open the show, as the show being the Radical Songbook, as we always do, with Sing Me a Song of Social Significance, recorded by Rosemary Jun in 1962 on the 25th anniversary of the only all-union production that premiered on Broadway in 1937, Pins and Needles. Welcome to the Radical Songbook, sisters and brothers, here at 88.9 FM, High Desert Community Radio, streaming live and archived at kpov.org. I do want to let you know that the views and opinions expressed on the Radical Songbook are mine alone or those of my guests and do not reflect the views of KPOV's board of directors, KPOV staff, underwriters, sponsors, or any other DJs or volunteers. This morning, I've got my guest here right now with me, and so pretty much without further ado, we're going to get started. And, you know, I apologize. One of the things that I should have asked you as a good journalist, Journalism 101, I should have asked to make sure that I pronounce your name right. right. So, you know, so. Well, hi, my hi. name is Anissa Bohannon. Okay. Anissa, uh, Anissa Bohannon. <laughs> I, I, I guessed it right, but I've learned that one shouldn't assume in, in media. Oh, yeah. One shouldn't assume. I learned in print media that, you know, always ask somebody how they spell their name before you write it into the story. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know in your own – Anissa is uh, is a reporter and storyteller um, at KOHD uh, here in Bend, which is the affiliate for which uh, network? Yeah, the ABC, and we're on CBS as well for KBNZ. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. So um, thank you so much. For coming in. Oh, of course. Um, Anissa can be seen on Central Oregon Daily, uh, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. At 6 o'clock on ABC and 7 on CBS. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me I on that. I got you. <laughs> All right. Good. I watch it at 6, actually. Yeah. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, I, and I decided to invite uh, Anissa onto the Radical Songbook after learning that she had spoke at TEDx here in town about being black in Bend. And as I occasionally do with guests, I ask Anissa to suggest some songs that she likes, and, and that's what we heard one of those songs. We'll hear more after she has to leave. She has to go to work, uh, <laughs> so she'll be out of here at 11, and we'll play some more songs after that. But we opened with that Prince song, uh, Why Doves Cry. And so what what is there about that song that, um, I mean, that was, uh, can I ask you how old you are? Yeah, I'm 25. So that was recorded in 1984. Oh, yeah. Before me, for sure. <laughs> but you so, know what? I grew up listening to Michael Jackson and Prince. on. So I grew up um, kind of an army brat for the first few years of my life. And there was a lot of driving back and forth and, and time on the road and going back and forth. And, and so anytime I was in the car with my parents, it's so funny, is they would actually, my dad would say, Anissa, if I can't hear the music, then you're singing too loud. I would just, I would belt these songs like, five, six, four years old, just like Michael Jackson throwing down. And so When Doves Cry is actually one of my absolute 
favorite songs. And I remember not knowing the words until I was like 19. So I have no idea what gibberish I was actually spouting yeah, right, before yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. But I just, I love all of that music so much. It has such a such a poignant part in my childhood. That, wow, that's great. That's yeah. great. And and some of the other songs that we'll hear later are a little bit more contemporary, yeah. I would say. But, uh, Beyonce song, um, let me see if I... Uh, I was here, and we'll be hearing from Queen Latifah, I Know Where I've Been, songs that were recorded in the last 10, ten years and, and sooner. Right. But also, you 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 know have some other songs that were recorded, Michael Jackson songs that were recorded in the 80s, a Whitney Houston song that you really liked that was recorded in three, at least three songs there that were that were <laughs> recorded before you were born. You know, sometimes old school's the best school. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a longtime fan of... Uh, Billy Holiday, for one, uh, oh, among yes. other artists, and yeah, exactly. Who doesn't love Billy Holiday? Yeah, really. <laughs> so, um, all right. So, uh, give our listeners, if you could, a, a little bit of your background. You were—I know you—you you told me you were born in Austin, Texas, and you do know where Torchy's Tacos is. And so, my <laughs> wife will get a kick out of hearing that. Yes. And you went to Texas State uh, in San Marcos. Mm-hmm. And um, what else can you tell me about your your education and, and your uh, experiences? I know that you lived in South Korea for a while. Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually born in New Jersey, which is oh, okay. super weird. Yeah. And okay. then, yeah, and then I grew up in Texas for forever, went to school, got my, uh, my television news degree, and then promptly went to South Korea, <laughs> like the following February. No one was more shocked than myself. I remember sitting at the dinner table and telling my parents, hey, so I know that I'm graduating soon and that I want to get right into television, but instead, I think I'm going to go teach in South Korea. (laughs) And they kind of looked at me kind of weird, like, okay, whatever. And then I was there like nine months later um, on a plane, ready to go. Um, So yeah, and then I taught there for two years. Fantastic uh, experience. So many great people that I met while I was there. Um, Just... And the kids alone, because I taught elementary and like the first two years of middle school. And then I also had some experience teaching the really little grades. And what's so crazy is that I would learn every day that students worldwide are kind of the same. Like no matter where you grow up, there's cultural differences, obviously. Yes. But my middle school boys would come in and tell fart jokes. And like that would make me laugh so hard because I was like, what? Why is this? Like, I can't even believe right now that I'm clear across the world and you're telling me fart jokes. Are you kidding? Farts are universal. You know, I'm telling you. (laughs) We all we all do it. You know, and we might as well laugh about it. (laughs) So, yeah. And then I, I came back and then I had been back in Austin for about three months or so um, when I applied to a job in Bend, Oregon. I had no idea where Oregon even was, uh, to be completely honest. I had to look it up on a map. And then uh, I was here like three weeks, three weeks later. It was great. Did you do much in the way of advanced research about this part of Oregon? I did. Um, and about the state in general? Yes, absolutely. Um, I definitely looked it up and was very interested in uh, how not diverse it it appeared to be. And, and my now boss, uh, when I was on the phone with him, he even told me that before I um, ever set foot on a plane or, you know, in the car or anything. Right. Um, and I remember telling him, you know, well, I moved to an entirely different country, like moving here is, is going to be nothing. And, and it was completely different um, from what I expected in a lot of different aspects, um, both both positive and negative. Um, and it's it's been a roller coaster of a journey yeah. ever since. <laughs> well, I, I want to get into that. But I, I want to and I do want to ask you about your personal experiences here in Ben. But I but I feel obliged that I, I kind of want to acknowledge something else here. 
uh, just speaking for myself, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I know here on the show, listeners know that I've, we've, we've talked a lot over time about what, what I call white privilege here in the community. And, and while I, while I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, I do think it's important to understand that one of the privileges, in my view, that comes from being white is that you never really have to ask yourself, you never, you're, you are, I, excuse me, you are never really asked or expected to quote unquote represent your race or your skin color. Um, as a white person, nobody, you know, assumes that I, in some way, anything that I do, any actions that I do, anything I say, or anything like that, is representative of 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 my race. Uh, and another privilege that comes with being white is that I never have to think about how my words and my actions. Um, what I do on any given day impacts um, people of color that I come into contact with. And that's all apart from any of the broader economic, educational, employment, or cultural advantages that, in my opinion, white people have over people of color in this, in our society. I wanted to start with this Michael Eric Dyson quote, if I could. Sure. All right. Michael Eric uh, Dyson's a, a great writer. He's an African-American professor at Georgetown University. And he recently said, and I'll quote, throughout our history, black people have had to know, black people had to know what white people, to, I'm going to start over. Throughout our history, black people had to know white people for our survival. We had to know their inclinations, their likes, their hates, what titillated them, what delighted them, what infuriated them, because our survival was at stake in any way, in, in a way that their lives and livelihood never were when it came to knowing us. There was no necessity for the sake of survival to know what we felt or believed or understood. And I think that is still true to this date. And I would tend to agree with that. Does that ring any bells for you? It, it does. Absolutely. That's what I call camouflage. Um, and I definitely do it every single day, every moment of every day, except when I'm with friends or at home. Um, it's It's kind of hard to describe. It's like a feeling of, for example, anytime I go... Um, to the grocery store, let's just say, I'm very aware of what I'm doing at all times. Um, and a little bit of that comes from just my occupation. But most of it is that I don't want to draw too much um, attention to myself. I just want to kind of blend in because the minute that I start talking too loud on the phone or I you know, maybe get excited about something or like I've started dancing in the aisle once to like a song that came on in Safeway. And I just immediately was very, very aware that other people are watching me and their first thought might not be, oh, this is just, you know, a, a young girl in the store, like having a good time in the aisle or like talking to her friend on the phone. It's like, why is that black girl so loud? Or like, oh, of course she wants to get crazy, like in the middle of a grocery store. Can't she like behave? And of course, not everyone is probably thinking that. Right. But in my mind, that's just something that I'm very aware of pretty, pretty constantly, um, especially in social settings. Whenever I'm going to meet up with certain groups of friends, I will act differently. And it's it's not because I'm being fake or being like not myself but i am just i'm just very very aware of each group that i'm with and how much i can let loose and and uh how how much of a nissa i want to be in that in that particular time yeah I, well it's what as michael eric dyson says it's it's part of kind of surviving sure absolutely I mean, surviving is more than just you know life and death right. it's about getting through every day absolutely in a way that you can without yeah and uh, so so how does that make you feel? 
Oh, you know, I've been doing it for so long that it's it's almost it's very second nature at this point. I don't even realize that I'm doing it until someone calls me out on it. I actually went out to drinks with a friend of mine and she was she was like, "Why are you being so quiet? You're being so calm." And I was like, "Well, it's a smaller area and I just don't want to draw attention to myself." And she was super perplexed. She was like, "I don't understand why." She was like, "I white. never Right, she is. Um, and But, you know, it's just it's very uh, difficult for other people to understand. And she was very understanding afterwards, but I had to explain it to her. You know, she'd never had to kind of do that, really. And I think that it's not even just with people of color. A lot of women do that as well, um, kind of shrink back and make sure that they're not doing um, too much. Um, because that's just kind of what we're we're taught, kind of I'm hold sure, back. I'm sure gay people also. A- absolutely. You don't yeah. want to be too flamboyant in a public setting. You don't yeah. want people looking at you and judging you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely second nature to me at this point. So I don't really feel one way or the other, except when I realize that I'm actually relaxed and mostly at home. But when I'm relaxed and, and able to just kind of be me, it is a relief. You know, that's the only time that I really even notice anymore. So, for you, you said you've been doing this for a long time. What you call camouflage was this. So that was also true growing up in Austin, in in communities that were that are way more diverse than ninety percent plus white. Bend. Sure. Well, when I was much younger, it was less about that. I didn't have really the the feelers to kind of sense when I was being too much, or um, so I was very hyperactive and like excited about just like everything in general. So you were I, human. I was human, <laughs> as <laughs> no, you would say. You were just doing your you were doing your human thing. I was God. just being, you know, alive, <laughs> yeah. and that yeah. was great. But yeah, um, and then I just started to kind of notice as I was going, and then I was maybe. I was definitely like uh, maybe like 20, 21 when I noticed that I first started doing it. And then definitely when I moved to Korea was when it was like a definitive thing where it was all the time. So in college, it wasn't all the time. It wasn't every second of every day, but it was definitely in certain situations. And then once I moved to Korea, it was like I was constantly watching myself all the time and to the point where I didn't even realize I was doing it until, again, I would get home and I was like, wow, I'm finally, and I'd be Skyping with my friends or FaceTiming and it was just such a relief because I finally was me again. Could be yourself. Yeah. I, I, w- I would suspect, and I haven't done this, but I would suspect that if I, even if I moved to a, and spent time in a, a whole different country with, a, with all people where I was totally different from everybody else, sure. that I would also probably be self-conscious yeah. a- about it, but but even then, you know, white privilege provide because you're because because my my real experience in the real world mm-hmm. is is being part of the dominant culture. Sure, I would probably react still differently over there. But it, but for for you, so did did this? Did your what what was it like when you arrived in Ben? How did you how did you um, how did you do it? How, how did you? I mean, you you you, re, you learned about. You, did you do any research? Any like look up stuff on 
about the history of the state or anything like that? I didn't do history of the state until much later um, okay. when I was already living here. And I was actually about to go and do a completely different story. It was the Deschutes, um, not biennial, centennial celebration. And I remember thinking, was I even allowed in Oregon 100 years ago? And it was it was crazy because I... The answer is no. Yeah, no. And I remember talking to my boss about it. And I was like, I mean, I feel kind of weird. I'm, I'm going to go in. And I remember saying, in my interview, I'm going to ask, you know, I mean, I wasn't even allowed here. What was that about? And he was like, okay, go for it. But um, yeah, it just is very interesting. But um, my first few weeks here in Bend was the ultimate camouflage. I was very, very quiet. I was feeling out the lay of the land, if you would. It was very, um, com- not complacent, but just super hyper aware of everything and um, just very held back, if you will. Um, and that took time and groups of friends to kind of uh, melt off. Um, but my first couple of months here was when things were going crazy with um, there were all the police shootings that were happening and then the Dallas police shootings happened. And so it was it was a lot for me. I was already feeling emotionally kind of um, sealed off and just feeling very lonely because I didn't have anyone else that I could really relate to. Um, but when those events would happen, I felt like there was constantly a finger kind of pointed at me in one way or another. Um, a lot of people were very positive and, and would say things like, you know, I'm really sorry. How are you feeling specifically? And I guess not positive, but they were very aware of, of how I was feeling. Whereas, you know, on the other side, it was people who were like, well, maybe they shouldn't have been doing this and this and this. And it just kind of felt like there was a target on my back a little bit for me to have an opinion one way or another and to and to feel what, you know, one side or the other was feeling when really I was just feeling lonely. I felt ostracized. Um, And that was no one's fault. It just was what it was. Um, So, yeah. Well. So was this were these kind of things when this was all, when this was happening when there there was that that period of time where there just seemed to be an awful lot of mm. of police murders of of innocent and unarmed black people in this country was that a time were people actually verbally expressing both support and negative Oh absolutely yeah or just like either to you or in in your presence Definitely yeah um I actually had an incident the exact same day uh as well, it was the day after the Dallas police shootings had happened in downtown Bend. Um, I had asked my boss why we weren't talking about um, Alton Sterling and Philando Castile being shot, and then the police shootings had happened. And he said, We need to find a way to localize it. And I said, Okay. Um, and he suggested man on the street interviews, which is exactly like what it sounds. You go out with a microphone on the street and you ask people questions. And of course, a lot of people didn't want to talk about it because it's July. You know, everyone's having a great time. The weather's finally nice. Um, but we did manage to get one couple to give their opinion. And uh, my videographer and I were super relieved. We were like, yay. Like, it, we didn't think we'd get anything. And then a man came up uh, on his bike just as we were kind of packing it in and said that he had opinions, but he didn't want to... Um, Share them on camera. So at that point, we were like, well, I don't really know what to what to tell you um, because you're a TV station. Well, right. We're like, <laughs> I, I can't write it down, you know, or anything like that. Um, and before we can kind of get him to uh, either go away or go on camera, he launches into his like, I won't say tirade, but it was kind of like that on Muslims and immigrants and um, just super like groups of minorities and then finally he says i hate to say this because you're black and i'm like oh my god 
because no good sentence has ever started with, I don't want to be racist, but, (laughs) you know, and so he's like, I hate to um, say this because you're black, but like sometimes black people are just built bigger and scarier and police just don't have a choice but to shoot because they're afraid and black people are just statistically more violent and you can look it up. And he says all of this to my face. So matter of fact, and I, I have no idea what to do. I can't react one way or the other. I'm working. I've clearly got like all the letters on me from work. No one will not know where I'm from if I just like burst into tears on the corner. So or or challenge him. Yeah, or like publicly. you know, yeah. But I was definitely not about to do either. Instead, I was just like, okay, do you want to say it on camera? And luckily, my videographer was, you know firm he was polite but very firm about okay well we've got to get back you know we've we've got to get out of here but i mean we stood there for a good five ten minutes listening to this man just go off on all kinds of groups and that was kind of the first time that i thought what am i doing here (laughs) you know like why would i ever make this was the worst decision i've ever made how long have you been here oh my gosh at that point i'd been here maybe just over a like two months yeah maybe you know it was still very very new yeah to me and it was that was just a very poignant and pivotal moment in my in my bend experience for sure and, and the way you describe it i mean it sounds like this individual made a point of i mean if you were riding down the street on his bike and he hadn't seen a black person sure this wouldn't have happened yeah and i mean he rolled i mean up he made and- a point of yeah, and he asked, you know, hey, what are you guys doing? I'm like holding a mic, and yeah. you know, we tell him yeah. what we're doing. It was just, it was very, uh, I don't know, interesting for sure. So, I, I wanted to talk about the, the, the notion of, of representation, but, uh, but, I, but also, I, I think right now, just for for our listeners, I should say, this is Michael Funky. You're listening to the Radical Songbook, and uh, I'm here with um, Anessa. Bohannon from KOHD, uh, and we're talking about being black in Bend, and I'm going to take a brief little break here, and we'll be right back. Woo! Well, thank goodness that the pledge drive is over. No more begging for money. Well, yeah, but the need for financial support doesn't end with the end of the pledge drive. Almost half of KPOV's operating revenue comes from listeners. That's right, you guys. Any time of year is a good time for a donation to your high desert community radio station. Mail, or better yet, walk or bike to 501 Northwest Bond Street and drop off a donation. Even when KPOV is not conducting a pledge drive. Well, yeah, donate. Hello there, fellow travelers. This is Pittsburgh Rabble Rouser Ann Feeney, and you're listening to The Radical Songbook on High Desert Community Radio, KPOV 88.9 FM, and streaming on the web at kpov.org. Anyway, all right, so we're back. Um, so, as far as, oh, so, so you, you cited that one example and where you were, you were only here for a couple months and you were very uh did, did you think about did you ever think about just packing it in and saying i'm out of here not till the winter time <laughs> as soon as well, it started snowing winter i was time like, will do that I'm out. But, <laughs> no um i never thought at that point i remember talking to my mom that exact same day yeah and she was like come home like get out of there i just you know what are you suffering for like just and yeah, yeah i just remember saying you know i can't I'm going to come up against obstacles like this throughout my career. It might not be this 
specifically living in in such a um, not quite like such a homogenous environment. But at some point, someone is going to challenge me at work again because of the color of my skin or because I'm a female or or what have you. Um, and so I was like, I can't just I can't give up now. I got work to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. OK. Well, that's you know, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think that I, I, I can appreciate that. But I, but on the other hand, I would say that I wouldn't. uh I, I wouldn't blame you at all if you had said just the opposite. Just like I wouldn't, in the conversation I was having last night with a friend, I wouldn't blame anybody of color at all if, the, if after doing the research, said, eh, yeah, I don't think I don't think so. I don't think this <laughs> is the right place for me. Sure. I'm sure I can go find some work somewhere else. <laughs> sure. you know? But you know, so I, you know, I. You, you, I it's great that you're willing willing to to kind of take that on because in a sense and, and as i was saying during the break right there i mean i think i i kind of feel you know that even by inviting you on here i'm sort of in a sense asking you to be representative and i it's really not my intention except that um you had indicated by by talking at tedx that mm-hmm. you were willing to talk about the experience mm-hmm. your experiences here but how how does do you do you feel do you feel here that you are asked to sort of represent uh, even by I mean even by well-intentioned people I mean can you just talk about that a little bit sometimes um, it's so crazy because actually right before TEDx we did a news piece around what my talk was going to be about and a lot of the comments were um, you know she's not a rep- you know a a correct representation of what it's like to be black here. She's only been here a year. She said that there, I have very facetiously said in our interview that there were five of us in Bend. Um, though to be fair, at that point, I had only met four others who looked like me in Bend. So I wasn't like being exaggerative or ridiculous, but I do apologize for that now. Um, and sometimes whenever I meet people and they, First of all, it's very rare that people will actually even acknowledge that I'm black. It's very much everyone here wants to be colorblind. They want yeah. you. They want everyone to feel equal. Um, and while I understand what people are thinking when they want us all to just feel like the same, it also detracts a lot from who I am as a person. I would never tell anyone I don't see you as white the way that some people will tell me I don't see you as black. For me, that's an insult because... I am black and right. that's okay. Like I'm not, I don't feel any less because of it. I don't feel any more because of it. This is just who I am. Um, so sometimes when people actually do acknowledge it um, and they kind of ask me about my experiences, they take it in and, and they say, well, is this everyone's experience? And I say, absolutely not. You know, I don't know what it's like for everyone else. I do kind of feel like the token sometimes um, in groups um, and that's unfortunate, but I also really try to utilize um, who I am and, and sometimes being the only one that a lot of people have interacted with in quite a long time um, to kind of educate people and say, you know, it's not all about being black and suffering. <laughs> you know, this is just these are just experiences that I've had that other people might have had as well. Um yeah, so as far as being a representation of my entire race, yes. The short answer is yes. Sometimes I do feel like that. Um, but on the other hand, I definitely think that I get across that just because these are my experiences and this is who I am, certainly not everyone who is of color has had these exact same experiences. They may have had similar ones, um, right. but 
by no means are we all the same person. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, Terrell Young, one of our DJs here is African-American, uh, is in criminal justice up at uh, COCC. He's a criminal justice uh, student up there. And he's I've had him on the show and he's talked about things like at the beginning of a semester when he's in a class and he goes and he sits, he gets to he one one situation in particular where he got to the classroom early and sat down and as other students white students came into the room there was kind of this circle of empty chairs Mm -hmm. that was around him until that was where you had to sit Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah absolutely and of course be of course criminal justice um he also uh, to his credit i mean he's actually had to challenge some racist ideas that sure future cops Right. Our whole, you know, these are future cops. Right. You know, and he, to his credit, he has, he has, he has stepped up and, and done that up there and he's gotten support from, uh, from professors up there. But those are some of the things that he's talked about, about being in, in stores and just feeling very conscious and feeling, feeling that, well, A, either knowing that whoever's you know the employees are watching or feeling that and you know what it's so different for even black men versus black women it's i can only imagine because i've had definitely tough experiences where i was very conscious but when you're a black man it definitely can feel like Uh, a target on your back i can only i can only imagine yeah that's gotta be tough yeah yeah absolutely yeah for sure um so have you ever so um, in your time here, have you, have you, you talked about that one experience? Are there any other times when you've, when you felt, I don't know if you felt threatened then, but have, are there times when you felt threatened or, or, or harassed or anything like that? You know, that was the most, um, excessive moment, I think for me. Um, the only other times that I could really think of is that, um, right after the election, or right before, I can't remember exactly, but um, some men decided to run through downtown Bend uh, with their trucks and these huge Confederate flags, you know, just being very, very loud and rambunctious. And um, I wasn't aware that that happened. Yeah, it yeah. did. And then there were several incidents. Was this during the day? It was uh, close to, closer to evening, yeah, if okay. I remember correctly. Huh. Um, but that happened, and um, I've definitely seen, like, my neighbors have Confederate flags up, you know, not, like, right across the way, and I just, I've never... In the, in the, neighbor, in the area where you live in town? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you get, you live in a, a, a community, a neighborhood where you walk out your door and you see a Confederate flag? Yeah, they're, they're across, um, they're across the way a little ways. There's, like, a little field, kind of, that separates us. But yeah, absolutely, I can, I can see it, um, for sure. Has it always been there? You know, I'm not sure if it's always been there. I only myself noticed it a few months ago. And I remember going into work and saying, hey, did you guys know my neighbor? Like my, you know, no one that I worked with would have thought that. But it's like, did you guys know that my neighbors like have a Confederate flag just like up? So um, it's uh, it's definitely interesting. It's and it's never that they've said anything or confronted me or anything like that. But I've con- I'm constantly it's a aware. Right. It's, I'm very constantly aware of things like that happening or being seen even when it's not, you know, not, when nothing is happening to me. I'm just very, very aware right. constantly. Well, yeah, I mean, I think displaying the Confederate flag is a, is, a, is a good way for people who have racist ideology or, or thinking to express it without 
having to say anything. And I'm always really surprised when I see them up here because uh, I don't think Oregon been, was even a state during the Civil War. Well, right? no, and it was ans- <laughs> and it was actually and the you know and that and the interesting part of that history is that it came in at, it came into the uh, in in 1859 it it purposely came into the Union as a non-slave state, but mm-hmm. then had this little. Thing said that you you know you can't own a slave in this state, but if you're black, you can't live here. Right. So you know, it was like, so, well, problem yeah, no. kind of solved, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I and I grew up in Portland, you know, and and you know, it was always it's always been and it still is. I mean, it the the the, the diversity, um, the the diversity that's occurred in Portland uh, over the years has been largely uh, Asian American uh, and, and immigrants from Asian countries, a variety of Asian countries, and sure. Latinos from a variety of, of uh, countries as well. Sure. Uh, and still very, 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 very small um, African American community in Portland. And even when it was a small community, was also the, uh, back in the late 50s, and I was still living there at the time, was the, the small black community that existed um have you you've gone to portland yes so you know where the moda center is yes that used to be the black community wow where the memorial coliseum is yeah there. that was the you, you can go back and, that was it it was right up it was from there up williams street and hmm. urban urban renewal pushed them all out or you know yeah, yeah no it yeah it just it was you know it's it's uh it happened it's happened in cities all over the country happened in detroit as well where urban renewal you know, uh, was basically, and I'll use the term that, you know, was basically, you know, considered by some on the right to be, you know, it's an old, it's an old term, but Negro removal was, mm. was the terminology that sure. actually, that actually people actually used. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so things did change for you after the election a bit. Just a little bit, mostly, be- well, I will say that um, afterwards, it was just it across the country. Obviously, there was like that upsurge kind of of, of racist activity and right. people drawing swastikas on, you know, Jewish churches and it, synagogues. Excuse me, um, you know, Muslim Muslims being harassed and attacked and and whatnot. So, I will say that the environment nationally made me very very nervous for s- several mm-hmm. months. Um, just because, and I remember just before I was set, so this was the day after the election, I was set to go and interview um, both um, a, a Democratic supporter about their reaction to the election and a Republican supporter. And I didn't want to do either one because I was just like, I can't even handle the environment. And then, of course, um, with the uptick of of racist activity that was happening across the country. It happened here in Bend as well, um, to a point where we had people, uh, where we had um, a, a mailing, an email address where you could specifically send in things that were happening to you. And this woman was uh, walking with her friend or her daughter and got called the N-word, just like walking. Her daughter got called the N-word just right on the street downtown. Yeah, actually, and, I think I heard about that one. Right, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and there was... A similar incident not even that long after and it was just it made me um very sad because i contrary to the things that have happened people think that i hate living here and that is absolutely not true like i love living in bend you know and i 
I'm just very saddened when things like that happen because you feel like you take three steps forward and then you feel like you've taken 10 steps back for right. for whatever reason. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And in, in the schools here, you probably heard after the election, right. you know, students, white students chanting, build the wall and right. go back to Mexico. And there was the incident at a restaurant down on Third Street where some Latino women were working and a guy, white guy came in and started harassing them. And, and either he had a gun or he was acting like he had a gun in his jacket pocket right you know and just pointing at them and like that you know and it took like way too long for the police to right come and he was long gone by then but yeah that that whole trump is you know i mean i don't know how you felt about the but i mean in my view trump you know basically had his his whole his whole demeanor his whole his whole attitude during the election uh in the during the campaign and his whole the whole way i mean he started out right from the get-go his very first comments you know were about how mexicans were all rapists and drug dealers and all of that and it, you know it's just that uh i mean he, he provides the um cover for the it's not more than cover he provides the opportunity for people who have perhaps had these feelings all along to be more public about it and you know they feel, they feel safer to do this stuff which is a very frightening thing in our society and i mean even afterwards after the election when all these things were happening people were saying i can't believe that you know we still have racism in this country and for people of color it was like Ta-da! Like we've been telling, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, we've been telling you this literally our entire lives, and this is just the only time that people feel brave enough, I guess, to come out and exactly and say it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We went through this period after, after you know, when Obama was elected. You know, I mean, which was a great thing to elect a, a black president, but at the same time to say that we sudden that now all of a sudden that we live in a post-racial society. Right, all of a sudden, racism is, like, is gone, and it was like, no, absolutely not. They're just they're just hiding. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, a personal question. I mean, so you've you've you said you really like living here. I do. You have friends. You have a network of friends. I do. Yeah, absolutely. White and black, I assume. Um, white I- and and black and Latino and just all colors of the rainbow. You know, LGBTQ pe- people. You can feel comfortable with when absolutely. you're when you're in with them that you can right absolutely kind of not feel uh, the stress. I guess right. it is of of uh, and that helps a lot. Know. Yeah, quite a bit, um, yeah. as you can imagine, to just yeah. kind of feel for a second that other people may not know your struggle exactly, but they have their own struggle that they completely understand. Right, you know, and it, that's nice. And 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 even if they don't completely understand it, at least there's some, you know, there's some sympathy and stuff. There, Absolutely, there's, there's some there's some recognition of of things. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking in terms of, of white of white folks you know in the community that there mm-hmm. are there are good there are good people in this community who really understand that there is racism sure. racism never went away and and uh, and that it has to be combated and 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 uh fought against all of the time mm-hmm. when you when you when you got here um i don't know this is might be a peculiar question i don't know but let me just sort of put it this way sure i i think it i mean did you so so you, you come to bend i mean when, when did you first see another black person? Um, <laughs> I it, it's, if it's nothing, don't that, even know. Oh, okay, then, honestly, yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it wasn't. It, I mean, it wasn't immediate. Yeah, certainly, it was definitely a few weeks. And even now, um, I will be like, oh my gosh, like just in my mind, I want to. I don't normally say it out loud, but I will definitely take note of not even just other black people whenever I see them, but other minorities in general. Anybody in co- of color. Right. Yeah. I just kind of immediately 
ping them and know where they are in a room, on the street, you know, whatever. And I can't tell you exactly why I'm doing it. It's just it's just automatic. It's just something that, you know, you you do. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I guess it's kind of a silly question that I asked. And no, I didn't, not I didn't, at all. I didn't phrase it really well. But but I've just often I, I mean, it's just it's just it's just got to be such an experience to be in a, a, a community that is just so overwhelmingly white that to see any you know yeah that any anybody um of color is really does it unfortunately has kind of stands out in a way that's uh sure but i mean korea was very homogenous and at least no one here stares at me the way that they did in korea so that's really nice at least it's a different level of anxiety here than it was um abroad for sure so why did you feel that it was important i mean uh, obviously you have these experiences Nothing. No one compels you to speak about them, right? That's, a, that's your personal decision. What 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 was it that that uh, that made you decide to consider talking at TEDx about it? Sure. Um, and you know what's so crazy is that they asked me to do TEDx, and my first reaction was no, solidly no. So you were actually kind of re- you were asked to. Do yeah, it. and I was like, absolutely not. I I can't. I don't feel comfortable doing that. I already feel very um, not targeted but just I I feel like eyes are on me all the time anyway Um, this will only make it worse and I remember um, they were like well think about it take a second and I called like everyone I know essentially you know best friends parents um, you know a couple other family members and everyone had the exact same reaction and it was why not this is your chance to talk about experiences that other people may never ever hear about in their life. They could go their entire life never having heard that, you know, this racist racist incident has happened to you, that other things have happened to other people, because a lot of people live in this bubble, and it's not their fault. They just haven't ever had to um, talk to anyone about, about their experiences. They don't want to make other people uncomfortable, which is totally understandable. Um, so I think what was most important to me was to let people know that um, these were my experiences and that they are very real and that other people of color, um, I don't really know how to phrase this without sounding representative, um, but, you know, with me specifically, I just want to be seen as who I am. Um, And that was the main point kind of of my talk was that I'd had these experiences and both positive and negative and, but at the end of the day, I'm still Anissa, um, who happens to be a journalist and a black woman. Um, I don't want to be anyone's. I have a black friend. I'm not trying to be anyone's statistic. Um, I don't want people to only see me as one thing or another. This is just who I am. And I would like for you to acknowledge that. Because at the end of the day, when you don't, it makes me feel even more ostracized, lonelier, um, because you I feel like you don't see me or my experiences as important to you. And my identity, just like your identity, is just as important. Um, Those to are me. things that we that everybody Absolutely would like to have in their life. Sure. And That's... I'm not saying that every person of color wants to think that way, um, or wants to be acknowledged as, you know, their as their race, which I understand the wanting to blend, um, but in my experience, it just makes me feel more comfortable wherever I am to know that other people know 
right. that this is who I am. It, you, you mentioned earlier that when you were first here, are you, are you, less, are you less lonely? I am. Yeah, I am. But it, it took a while for sure um, because I was still struggling with um, being, you know, African-American and, and the different struggles that I was going through. I always wanted to blend and, and not make waves or anything like that. But I just realized over time, especially in Korea, that, that this is just this is my life and I cannot spend all of it hiding and wanting to be like everyone else. Um, and then, of, of course, certainly my friend groups have, have helped with that. I'm just acknowledging when when things are difficult um, and uh, just having them to kind of fall back on is nice. Yeah, no, it's yeah. I mean, massively important. Yeah, you have to you have to have people that you can we all have to have whether whether it's in a workplace or or any place. I've always felt you always have to have people that you have that you trust. Mm -hmm. You can say anything to and you can be. They'll, they will be faithful to you, yep. that you can vent to. Yeah, absolutely, and which is great. If you great. have grievances or whatever, you, you need to be able to vent. You need to be able to, yeah, and we all, we all need that in our lives to get by. Okay. Thanks so much. Of course. Thank for, you for having for me. For coming in. I, I, uh, are you going to be in Bend for a while, you think? I am. I'm not going anywhere just yet. <laughs> all right. Well, I'd love to have you come back in at some point sure. if you don't mind. And maybe we could just talk about music. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I would love I mean, that. You know, I mean, uh, just get, you know, not necessarily focusing on, on the specifics of your of the talk that you gave called being black and bent so i've been talking with uh anessa bohannon here on the radical songbook thanks, thanks so much for coming of in i really really you. really appreciate it thanks for listening to this kpov podcast kpov is community radio for the high desert of central oregon for more information and a program schedule go to kpov.org we value your feedback drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org